think I've been living under a rock because this topic only came to light to me in the past couple of weeks. I knew that everyone in one way or another was affected by COVID. This pandemic has not only been a fight of this deadly virus, but it's also a fight against racism, not just in the black community, but in the Asian community as well. Something that I wasn't aware of. According to CTV News, over the past year, hate crimes have gone up in places like Vancouver, which is up 97% overall. And compared to data in 2019 to 2020, anti-Asian hate crimes went up 717%. I decided this conversation needed to be talked about. So on today's episode, I am passing the mic. I hope this conversation is one which you learn from as well as sparse conversations. Okay, perfect. So I have a guest here today on our episode, and I'll just allow our guests to introduce themselves a little bit. So go ahead. So hi, everyone. My name is Sarah Fung. I am the co-host of the Gritty Nurse podcast. Uh, I am a nurse. I've been a nurse for over 10 years. I'm also a wife and mother of two kids. They are three and almost six. And um, part of the reason that I do my podcast is because I want to advocate for things um, such as gender equality, uh, diversity, women's rights, and uh, mental health supports. And uh, so I'm really excited to be talking about anti-Asian racism and sort of my experiences with that growing up and things that I've experienced in my professional life. And I know that you also have a co-host that co-hosts with you. Um, what's mm-hmm. the name of the podcast? Just to drop it and just a little bit about your co-host. Yeah, so I run, I'm a co-host of the Gritty Nurse podcast. I co-host this with Amy Varley. And, uh, you know, you can find us everywhere. Uh, our website is grittynurse.com. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find us on YouTube as well and all the major podcast platforms. Awesome. So the point of today's discussion um, is to have a conversation with our um, Asian brothers and sisters. And the reason why I wanted to have this discussion is because I wanted the Black community to see um, our Asian brothers and sisters and just kind of be like like an ally to them to really support them during this um, these situation. Now, I've been apparently living under a rock. I'm going to be honest with you, Sarah, I guess when you have two kids, myself, I don't really watch the news because it's so heavily on COVID. And I just literally found out about this maybe about, I want to say two weeks ago. And so I did a little bit of research on the matter. And so before we get into it, I just wanted to know, Growing up, did you have any issues with racism? Did you face any sort of racism? Did you notice it? Or was it maybe people that you might have known who have had their experience with racism? Share us what that was like for you. Mm -hmm. I have a few memories that stand out quite, you know, quite strongly. And racism starts, as you know, in childhood. Kids can be mean. Kids are mean. And so where I grew up was a pretty white town. Um, my family was one of the few uh, Asian families in my school. And so kids would say things like, you know, you have Chinese eyes and they would they would take their hands and kind of, you know, 
do that. You know, Chinese, Japanese, they would do that, right? So I'm Chinese, and I kind of thought, okay, well, I don't know what to expect. I have no frame of reference. I guess this is normal, although it didn't make me feel very good. So it was just comments like that.、Um, you know, the teachers would never say anything to address it, but this was back in the '90s, and I don't think racism was that.、Uh, That much of an issue, like people didn't talk about it that I could recall,、um, and then just comments like, you know, your face is flat like a pancake. So that those types of comments stick with you. And I remember so well the girl that said it to me, and I didn't have any comeback, and I started to get self conscious, like, oh, is my face my my face is different? Is is there something wrong with my face? Like, what what did she mean by it?、Um, and just things like that, right? But. I guess like kids matured, and then it wasn't so much comments like that, but it was more sort of passive, right? So I'm trying to think of just like insensitive types of comments, like "Oh, what kind of food do you eat at home?"、Uh, and this brings me back to that movie. I don't know if you ever watched My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yes, where、um, there's a scene where she goes to eat, and the white girls are like, "Ew, what are you eating? Is that moussaka?" And then they make fun of her, right? So it was just stuff like that. Like I had. Food to bring to school that was different than you know your sandwiches and that kind of stuff, and it did make me feel a little bit self conscious about my culture. But my parents always taught me to be proud of who I was. They had no shame, you know. So I think I did grow up with a healthy sense of my culture, but knowing that there were these experiences that kind of were peppered throughout my childhood, I did know that I was different, and I did know that not everybody accepted me for who I was. And then、um, in middle school, people would make fun of my last name, and because it was different than you know your white sounding last names. And I even remember back in the days when there were phone books, my dad would get crank called all the time from teenagers because、oh, of、no. his name. It's like a Chinese sounding name. It's not like like I got my name is Sarah, so that's a very Anglicized name. It's、right. easier for people to pronounce, but I guess you know, back in the day, teenagers would look through the phone book and find the funniest name that they could find and call that number and just laugh at the person when they picked up on the other side. Oh wow! And I'm just thinking back to my dad's reaction, and I mean, he wasn't angry, I guess, but and maybe this is part of the problem. He just accepted it for what it was. You know, he's like, okay, whatever, hang up, and just move on with your day. So. I think that there was, there was these types of things,、um, and then fast forward to、uh, when I was a bit older in university. That's when SARS hit. So SARS、Ooh. was my first real taste of how cruel people can be based on your culture. And I remember、uh, going out, and people would say, "SARS, go back to your country, go back to China." Like this was really out there in your face. I didn't know how to answer it. I ignored those people.、Um, never really talked to my parents about it because you know it didn't seem that relevant at the time. But I think at that point I started to see that you know there are a lot of issues、uh, internationally and politically, and they do affect Asian people. And I didn't know how to stand up for myself, so I didn't. And this is something that I'm continuing、mm. to learn and develop to this day. Is like. You need to be able to call out when something is racism. Stand up for yourself, and if you see it happening to someone, you need to stand up because you can't be that bystander that allows these things to happen. So you mentioned that you 
uh, whenever you had these situations occur to you, uh, as well as, uh, for example, when it happened to your father, you never, you guys as a family never had the discussion of how to handle it or how to handle when people are coming towards you with racial slurs or anything like that. It was just more so like, let's just continue our day. Yeah, it's very weird. I I don't remember ever having this conversation with my parents. It wasn't until I got a bit older that I started to unpack some of these things that had happened to me. You know, they would just say, it's fine, just brush it off, don't be too sensitive, they didn't mean anything by it, or, you know, they're really immature, you're better than them, don't give them the time of day. So it was sort of that let it roll off your shoulder type mentality. And uh, they are still like okay. that to this day. So I think that was their way of dealing with it, being immigrants to this country. They felt that, you know, it's worked for them all this time. Why why ruffle any feathers? Why cause any issues? And so that's sort of how they approach things like this. So let's fast forward to, I want to say last year, March, when the pandemic hit. And at the time, south of our borders was a different regime, I like to call it. There was um, President Donald Trump. Now, how did it make you feel when this president said things like um, the Chinese virus and, and kind of pointing fingers? How did that make you feel as um, as Chinese? Well, I was really offended, first of all, because it just seemed like a really ignorant way to address the virus because at that time it already had a name. It was COVID-19. And one thing that I want to emphasize is that this virus knows no bounds. It doesn't know race. It doesn't know gender. It doesn't know anything. It's just going to replicate wherever it can find a host. And I think at the beginning of the pandemic, it affected all classes, all um, socioeconomic classes equally. But as we know, as time went on, it's unfortunately affected the lower socioeconomic class and especially uh, people of color. It sort of settled into those mm -hmm. groups. But at the beginning, it affected everybody equally. So I think that calling it the China virus is really not doing any favors because, I mean, it did originate in Wuhan, China, but we don't call other viruses by where they originated. Like, um, I'm just trying to think of other examples like SARS. We call it SARS. We don't call it the China virus anymore because it has a name. It's been categorized and it's really sort of de derogatory. And I think that not only was I offended, but I felt angry. I felt frustrated that we, I mean, I don't say we, but there was a president that wasn't as progressive as I had hoped, but I kind of feel like that um, with a lot of things with him. Uh, but this really hit home because it's really not, it's just not creating a sense of unity. Like we don't need to label it the China virus because as we know, that sort of uh, put a negative connotation towards Chinese people. And even here in Toronto, there was a group, uh, there was something at the beginning where people were boycotting Chinese owned businesses. Wow. Um, Chinese restaurants, you know, anything that was in Chinatown or owned by Chinese people, they did face a big hit early on in the pandemic. And I mean, all businesses have been affected now, but I think they were affected negatively from the very beginning. I think the reason for that, and I do remember that, was because we didn't have much knowledge, much insight, and there was already kind of like a, a already put stereotype generalizing that you can get this from the Asian community. 
me, I went and got my Chinese food, eh? So <laughs> I had no problem. <laughs> and it's like, oh, it's, oh, well, too bad. I had no problem because I didn't, I didn't understand people's mindsets about how it is specifically a, 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 um, a group of ethnic people that this virus came from. Yes, as you had mentioned, it is, it did originate from Wuhan, but to say, that Chinese people have it and Chinese people are like, that just seemed really uh, absurd and far-fetched for me. And I kind of wish that people were able to just kind of stop for a minute. Think about this. You've been stay, you've been living amongst an Asian community for years. And all of a sudden now this uh, virus comes up and now it's, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like, just think about this rationally. Does that make any sense? I'm not too sure if it was, and maybe it is the media. They kind of played into people's fears and anxiety. And so for some mm -hmm. people, they also needed a, uh, um, someone to blame, um, which isn't fair. I don't find that fair at all. Now, you did also mention you're a nurse. So I got two, uh, two good things here. I get have the discussion about mm -hmm. that and and just for I guess some of my listeners to understand how real is this virus because there's a lot of people like eh, oh my God. I could go out I could just go see my grandma how real is this virus wow I don't even know where to start I guess where I will start by saying is that I have lost a family member to COVID so my grandmother passed away back in April oh, uh, in a long-term care facility. Thank you. Thank you. It was in the first wave, uh, very unexpected, but we know that this has also disproportionately affected the elderly, especially in long-term care. So I have personally lost a family member. Um, most of my colleagues are stressed to the max right now. A lot of nurses are thinking about leaving the profession. Uh, where I work right now, a number of our staff have contracted COVID oh. because I work for uh, a home care agency. We employ a lot of nurses and PSWs. And so a lot of them have contracted COVID as well. They've had to be off work. A lot of our patients have contracted COVID. You know, they've had to go to hospital, a lot of negative effects. And I think one thing I want people to know is that there's this widely circulated statistic that it's a 1% death rate. But death is the worst case scenario. We're not talking about if you survive and those long-term uh, effects that you have. So there, you could have cardiac issues, you could have neurological issues, you could have mental health issues. So surviving, yes, you've survived, but what is your quality of life? Um, mm. I think that's something people need to consider. And also when you think about uh, COVID in comparison to the flu, because people are like, oh, it's the flu. Well, the flu actually might kill one in a thousand to one in 10,000 people, where we're saying that COVID um, is going to kill one in a hundred people. Wow. And if, um, I mean, if the hospital system gets overwhelmed, you think about it, then all of the intensive care beds are taken up with COVID patients. That means if you went to the hospital with a heart attack, with a broken leg, with anything else that's going wrong, there might not be the staff to care for you. And this is really... Um, in the healthcare world, it's like the ultimate worst case scenario that we may not have the resources to care for people that have other uh, pressing issues that are presenting to the healthcare system. And how are you doing as a nurse to be in this? Do you feel overwhelmed? Because I feel overwhelmed just listening to this. Yeah, some days I don't even know 
where to start. I guess just taking it one day at a time and knowing that things are slowly improving. The vaccine has arrived. A lot of my colleagues have gotten it. Uh, I've been reading articles that um, even if you have one dose of the vaccine, then if you were to get COVID, your symptoms are much more milder. There's oh. a lower risk of death. So it's it's getting there, but it's like the slowest train ever to get to the end of the tunnel. Like if you had asked me last year in March where we would be, I thought this was going to be over in three or four months. And I had read an article back in the beginning that this was going to last 18 to 24 months. And I'm like, no way. There's no way. People are too pessimistic. And the closer we get now to the one year one mark, year, yeah. I think we're almost we're almost there, actually. Yep. Um, the re- more realistic this seems to me, because in my world, everything shut down on Friday the 13th Oof. of last year. <laughs> Talk about That's- numbers, eh? Friday the 13th. And, yeah, it was Friday the 13th. And I remember still it was... Uh, I think it was right before March break and they're like, you know what, we're going to shut everything down. Maybe, you know, we'll extend March break and see what happens. Well, that was like a year ago. We all know what happened. Yep. Um, but yeah, I guess just getting back to your question, it's been a really um, emotionally, mentally stressful time because I feel like we have really lost our sense of empowerment with nurses having to fight for PPE, having to fight for being paid for being sick, um, having to fight for mental health resources. There's been a huge uphill battle. And just recently, um, there was a nurse in Oakville who died by suicide. She was a nurse. Um, so I really fear for my colleagues. Like, I'm, I'm worried oh, that wow. the next time I hear about this, it's going to be someone I know. Um, so I think there's been a definite... Um, this has been probably the hardest time in nursing ever. So I, I will just put it that way. And what do you say to people? Because um, now that there's a vaccine, I will say in the black community, because I'm hearing a lot of black people say this, but a lot of black people are hesitant about taking mm-hmm. the vaccine because it was rushed. It came too quickly. And I'm sure there's probably other people who feel the same way. Um, how do you mm-hmm. what do you say to those people who are kind of a little apprehensive about taking the vaccine? Well, I think there's many different things I could say, but just to address your question about it being rushed, the way that the vaccine was developed was just coordination from the international community. So really everyone putting this as the number one priority for the first time, you know, all hands on deck type approach. I think that's how it was developed so quickly. And when you're looking at all the steps that it takes to develop a vaccine, a lot of the steps were done at the same time. So simultaneously, and that's how they were able to speed up a lot of the process. Um, In terms of vaccine hesitancy, I think it's really about seeing someone from your ethnic group, from your same gender, someone that has a lot in common with you that can say, hey, I got the vaccine and here's why and here's the evidence. So I don't know if it's so much about the scientific proof, but more about seeing someone that you trust and respect who has gotten the vaccine, who supports it, who backs up all the scientific evidence behind it to really uh, be able to mobilize people to, you know, change their minds about it. Yeah. And I know that there's a lot of rumors floating around, like it's going to change your DNA or, you know, there's side effects that we don't know about yet. Um, but from what I have read, the um, the trials involve tens of thousands of people. So these are large, large scale trials. And from like what I said already, we do know that 
it does prevent COVID in 95 to 98% of cases. And even if you do get it, it's much milder than if you hadn't gotten the vaccine. So I think uh, I'm totally in support of it. And uh, I don't know if there's anything I can say to, you know, help your listeners change their minds if they're on the fence or whatnot. But I, I just... Um, I would encourage everybody to get it, whether or not you're pregnant, whether or not, you know, I, I would always encourage you to speak to your doctor first, but there are so many benefits to getting it, not just protecting yourself, but the ones around you. Right. I wish that my grandmother had been able to get it because she was just one year too late. And um, she actually was over a hundred years old. So it was like crazy how long she lived. And she lived through um, the Spanish flu. She lived through the both the world wars. You know, coming to Canada. Oh wow! She had seven kids. She was like, she was like a dynamo. And I know people might think, oh, you know, she was a hundred years old. But I really think that if it wasn't for COVID, she would still be alive today. Mm -hmm. I agree. Mm -hmm. Well, let's leave it at that. I I was able to bring it up. I know there would be people who are asking, why didn't you ask her? So I brought it up. It's up to my listeners to make that conscious decision on whether they want to get the vaccine. And I just also wanted, of course, um, a healthcare professional's perception or views rather on the whole coronavirus. So just to kind of get back onto our our topic now, the episode, I mean, apart from what we were just talking about, we also wanted to talk about this anti-Asian racism that's going around. So um, like I had mentioned earlier, I've been living under a rock. And so when I recently found out about it, I did um, some research on it. And so as a result, we've seen an increase in violence against Asians. Um, so this is not only in the US, but in Canada as well. Uh, now, have you experienced any? And if you haven't experienced anything due to the pandemic, have you heard stories and what was the first thing that ran through your head when this had happened or when you're hearing these stories? Mm -hmm. So I guess in the beginning of the pandemic, I did notice that when I was walking down the sidewalk, even if I had a mask on, people would cross all the way to the other side of the road. So not just walking around me to give me my six feet. It was like they literally crossed the road walked onto the other side. And I noticed that they weren't doing this for everyone. So I couldn't help but think it was because I was Asian. And just that um, lack of understanding about how the coronavirus is spread. Uh, so I think that's number one. And I do have family that live in California. And they have been there their whole lives. Like my cousins are third generation Chinese Americans. And they have said to me that for the first time in their lives, they feel unsafe walking on the street because of what they have heard about anti-Asian violence, um, you know, like people being attacked in broad daylight for being Asian, for uh, being accused of spreading the coronavirus. So I think it's definitely something that is more prevalent in the States, but here in Canada, I think it's a little more covert. So people haven't necessarily been killed, but there's a lot of that discrimination where, like I said, you're crossing all the way to the other side of the street. Um, you know, like I've been asked, so like, when was the last time you went to China? It's like, I actually don't even have family in China. Uh, most of my family is here in Canada and the States. I have like a few relatives in Hong Kong, but I actually don't have any family in China. So like, it's just sort of questions like that, that really kind of make me wonder what people are thinking a lot of the time. 
I remember when I was um, researching on the matter, I was watching a video on CBC News, and it was really my introduction to this whole um, what's been going on. And it was um, a young girl in, I uh, I believe it was somewhere in BC. And when the pandemic had hit, she was going rollerblading with her and her boyfriend. It was a nice summer's day, I guess you could say. And she was blading and her boyfriend was writing I think he was blading too. He pulled out his camera to just kind of re- record their their time outside. And on the opposite side of the track, um, you know those um, walkways where you have one side where you could rollerblade one way mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. so on the other side was a cyclist coming towards her and then he spat on her. And that is something that is ingrained and etched into my brain because for one not only are we going we're not only was that blatantly racist but we're going through a pandemic god knows if you have you know this virus and you spat on her i think it like just missed her because the 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 video wasn't that clear but i think it just missed her and I was just thinking, this is something I need to have the discussion about when I saw this and I heard, or basically off of what I'm reading, a lot of it, um, of these acts are coming more towards the West side of, of Canada. I mean, not to say that we don't have anything here in Toronto. We do. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I heard a lot of more the aggressive side of this is coming more so West parts. So we're looking at Vancouver. We're looking at places like um, Alberta. They're a little bit more aggressive. Uh, um, an Asian man was was pushed out of a store, a convenience store. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that, I was just kind of, and it, it just felt like everybody was a, like, ganged up against that community and we're just pointing finger and so me i mean i'm not asian but me just watching that it was very upsetting because at the end of the day Mm -hmm. these are people too it's unfortunate that this is this this virus stemmed from um, wuhan but it doesn't mean that that is who you're targeting so i i I was definitely upset Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I guess in the West Coast, especially in BC, there is quite a large uh, Chinese population. And um, there is quite a large uh, Chinatown in Toronto as well. But I think in Toronto, it's more diverse in general. So there are other groups besides Asians, there's a lot of South Asians, there's a lot of uh, black people. But in BC, the only visible minority is really the Asian, the Chinese community. Okay. And I don't know if that's why they've been more targeted, but that might be a possible reason. Same with California. Um, I just, I feel so bad for that uh, person that got spit on because really they're treating them like garbage. Like you spit on the ground. Like it's like, she's a piece of garbage. Never mind the, never mind the pandemic. But that is like, to me, that is one of the most disrespectful things you can do to another human being. I totally agree. And so there's no excuse for that. Nope, I totally agree. There wasn't. I mean, he was, luckily they had the video, but um, he was uh, caught and he was charged. I don't remember what the charges were. Um, but that also brings to the fact that there has been um, kind of like an anti-Asian racism initiative. And I've noticed, I, ha- I, I, I know I'm too old for TikTok. 
But I have TikTok. So am I. <laughs> oh, you do? Okay. Oh, my God. I got to get it too then. I got it. So I, I noticed that on TikTok, this was before Black History Month, they had put up an ad on TikTok of if you are facing any types of discrimination um, and you're a part of the Asian community, please click here. And it was like they wanted people to, um, what's the word? Like, ex- let them know so that it could be forwarded to law enforcement. So I was really impressed that they they were doing something like that. Now looking back at it, I clicked on it, but I didn't put two and two together. I just clicked okay. on it. And then I really realized, oh, my gosh, that TikTok thing had to do with this. When I really looked into it uh, about the whole anti-Asian racism thing. So, um. There has been an anti-Asian racism initiative in which victims are asked to report any incidents. However, off of the information that I'm reading, it's stated that many go unreported. Why do you think mm-hmm. that is? That doesn't surprise me at all. And I think it's for the same a lot of the same reasons why women rarely report harassment or incivility or abuse. We're afraid of retaliation. We're afraid that we won't be believed. We're Mm -hmm. thinking that it's not a big deal. You know, I don't need to draw attention to myself or that there might be negative consequences to reporting this abuse, like that you might lose your job or you might get in trouble. You might lose some of your uh, community. There's a lot of different reasons. And I think that part of it is that we are considered, whether this is right or wrong, we're considered the model minority. I don't know if you've heard that term before. Um, so I have, but, but I would like you to explain yeah, it to yeah. my listeners. Okay. So from my understanding, what the mo- model minority means is that we are, quote unquote, the most uh, agreeable minority, meaning that we don't like to cause issues. We don't want to uh, advocate. We don't want to ruffle the feathers. In Asian culture, um, there's a huge, huge, huge emphasis on hard work and education. So we feel that, and I don't want to speak for all Chinese people, but generally the culture is that if you work hard, get a good education, keep your head down, good things will come to you. There's a lot of uh, talk, there's a lot of proverbs in Chinese culture about fortune. So if you do these things right, good fortune will come to you. And so what that means is being agreeable in many situations, whether or not it's right. So by model minority, we're sort of being complacent to what white people do because we want to we want to fit in we want to be like them we want to enjoy all the things that they get to enjoy and so by being the model minority we're sort of trying to fly under the radar and not cause any issues but that in itself is not helpful towards anti-asian racism it's not helpful to um, you know issues that black people face we should be speaking up for black people for all people and um So that is sort of what the model minority is. And there's another term that's been used, and it's called white adjacency. So you've probably heard this term before or not, um, but it just means that we've been able to sort of, so because of the model minority, we have been sort of put on this pedestal, like Asian people work hard, look at them. You know, they don't cause any trouble. They work hard, they get the job done. And, and, you know, everybody should be more like them. So in a way, they're kind of putting us up on this pedestal because we haven't been vocal. We haven't advocated for many things. And so we are kind of, we're kind of giving permission to white people to continue doing what they're doing because they know that 
we're not going to say anything. And so I think this is part of it as well. Growing up, I was never taught about advocacy. Mm. I was never taught that, you know, you should speak up for what's right. It was always about work hard, keep your head down, and good things will come to you. I just, that kind of has been ingrained in my mind. And it's been actually really hard for me to be more vocal because it kind of goes against everything I know from my childhood. But I do know that this is the right thing to do. And I'm working at getting better at it. And I think it can be a learned skill, even if it was something that you didn't necessarily learn growing up. Now, do you do your parents feel the same way now compared to like, are they more willing to advocate or even not just parents, maybe cousins, aunts, uncles, do you find that they're more they maybe shifted the narrative from being quiet to being, hey, no, that's not right. Um, honestly, my parents and their generation, no. Okay. I would say that there's no willingness to change. Um, they tend to, I guess the way that they cope is just to stick together. So, you know, sticking to other Asian people as much as possible so they don't feel that there is racism out there. Um Myself and my cousins, our generation, I do feel like there's a willingness to speak out. I absolutely do think that we feel very similar to um, what I've been saying is that we need to speak out. We need to advocate for what's right. We need to speak out when we see racism in any form for any group of people. But my parents, I just don't think there is that willingness to change. I and how do they feel yeah. about you, you guys being more vocal and more, no, we're not going to do that? Are they kind of like, hey, 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 just keep it down there? <laughs> or they're, they're a little uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie. They're a little uncomfortable, but they wouldn't stop me from doing it. They just know that, you know, they're proud of what I do, but it's not necessarily what they would have done. Um, they think that, I think that my parents, whenever something has happened to them that I would consider racism, they would think, you know... I just need to be less sensitive about what's happened. They right. think that, you know, it's something that they've done. They need to change their mentality versus that this other person has done something to wrong them. So that's how so that they sort of cope with it. Okay. Now, I was listening to your podcast. You know, I have to do my research. <laughs> and uh, you did an episode with your co-hosts uh, just a while back about allyship and anti-racism. And a part of the episode, you explain how your parents' generation, it was about going to school and doing all the necessary things to be successful, which at times could mean be quiet or turning a blind eye. With everything that has been happening in the pandemic, so for, we're talking about Black Lives Matter, we're talking about anti-Asian, xenophobia, even indigenous rights. Do you find that people in your circle, and I mean, again, like we mentioned before, your immediate one, um, mom, dad, if you have siblings, cousins, whomever, are they having the discussions with you around these issues or are they just kind of not even, mm -hmm. don't want to talk about it? Well, I mean, like, I think my parents and my aunts and uncles are willing to talk about it. Um, but whether they're willing to do anything about it is a different story. So I think they're willing to at least have the conversation and admit that there is anti-racism out there, but in terms of what they can do about it, they don't feel very empowered. Mm. They don't feel like they have the skills that they need to make change. And 
I guess maybe they do want change, but they're kind of relying on other people to make that happen. Uh, okay. Do you notice? Do you think mm-hmm. that there has been a little bit of a shift um, being with what's been happening over the pandemic in terms of racism? And I mean racism, period, like from all aspects. Do you feel as though there's a shift that things are happening or that we're we're getting somewhere? There's some sort of progress that is happening during I would say this last year. Yeah, I mean, it's been in the news quite a bit. So I remember even having a conversation with my parents about George Floyd for the first time. And, you know, they they were totally shocked about what happened. They feel it was wrong. So it was opening the door to even having these conversations because I feel like it was sort of this taboo subject that we just never talked about these types of things. But we are talking about it, which is good, right? We're at least having the conversation, talking about how we feel that um, racism is out there and it does need to be addressed. And there are many different things that are happening, like Black Lives Matters. Um, You know, things are changing slowly, but it's just about having that conversation. If you can't talk about it, then you're not even addressing the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about that actually um, about the whole George Floyd incident when you saw it, which was a very disturbing video. But when you first saw Mm -hmm. it, what was the first thing running through your head? I was just like, I had no words. I was just shocked. And I remember like actually even talking to my husband about this yesterday. He said to me, did you know that the police officer had his knee on George Floyd's neck for nine minutes? Mm -hmm. And I said, I absolutely did not know that. But even nine seconds seems too long. You know what I mean? I just like in healthcare, we talk about this thing called the Swiss cheese model, whereas Swiss cheese has holes, right? And if all the holes line up, then you fall through the cracks. And I feel like with the the situation that happened with the um, police that were involved, there were so many things that lined up that were wrong that fell through the cracks. But George Floyd could have happened like a hundred times over. But I just... I just think there wasn't that media presence. And, you know, there are a hundred, there's a thousand other George Floyds out there that we haven't heard about. Um, So someone just happened to film it, be in the right place at the right time. And because of the timing of it, I think it just sort of blew up. And I just, you know, I'm so, I don't have any words. Like I just felt like crying when I heard about it, when I read about it. It's just so sad. And I, I just don't even know. I mean, I do know how it happened, but I just can't believe that we treat other people this way. Yeah. Now, did you have any kind of conversations or, and I'll say because your co-host is uh, African-Canadian, I'm not even sure if I should say Mm -hmm. uh, African-American or Canadian or just black. So if she's listening, I apologize, (laughs) but your co-host is um, black. And when Mm -hmm. she first heard of George Floyd, did you guys have that discussion? And then fast forward to maybe I would say, a couple of weeks into the pandemic when we started seeing cases of racism towards Asian, did you guys have that discussion as well? And what was the sentiments? Mm-hmm. So George Floyd, obviously we, we did talk about it. I mean, she's talked about it quite a bit on different interviews we've been on. And I mean, George Floyd was just the beginning of a number of racist um, things that happened. I know there was another incident where there was a, person in uh, Central Park that was walking their dog. Yes. And um, she was black. And then she was accused of something that was totally ridiculous by this white man. Mm -hmm. 
And I think at the end, he had to, she got charged with something. I mean, I don't know the, all the details, yeah. but it just sort of like, it was George Floyd and this lady, and it kind of opened the floodgates to all of this racism. And I mean, when you have a leader like, when when you have a leader like Trump, that doesn't help. That just opens the floodgates. It's, it allows people to be racist because you have a leader that is basically showing you what is okay and what's yeah. not. And I mean- with Asian, with all the Asian violence, I'm like, I'm like thinking, well, if if we're not safe, then what ethnic group is safe mm-hmm. right now? Yep, you're I right. Mean, mm-hmm. So my sentiment is that it's just there's so much that could change, and I think a lot is happening, but we just need to keep having conversation. And the main thing is not being a bystander. I think that's the most important thing it's pretty easy to just walk by and say, you know what, that's not my problem. I'm just going to let them deal with it. But with every every time you do that, you're essentially giving permission for this to occur and to keep occurring. So really, you need to say something. And if you've never said something before, now's the time. You need to figure out who you are, what side of history you want to be on, and just really... um, start advocating for yourself and everyone around you. That's exactly what I said, because I feel like, you know, both of us, both you and I have kids. And so they're going to grow up and they're going to read about this craziness in the history books. And in my head, I think about, you know, what, when they come to you and ask you what happened in 2020 and you tell them about all, not only the pandemic, but you're telling them about um, the racial injustices that have been happening during that year. I mean, they've been happening for years, but really have heightened itself in that year. And I always want it so that you can tell your kids that this is what I did. I was on the good side. I um, advocated for Black rights, for Asian rights, for Indigenous rights, for whatever rights that is. I always wanted it to be, to be that my children can look up to me and say, this is what my mom did. This is, you know, what she did. She advocated for these people. She had the discussion. She called people out. Um, if people know me, they know that I'm one person who I will open up my mouth and I'll call things out if they're shifty if the people are acting nice. funny <laughs> you know um it might come off a little rude but i'm very i'm very strong and i'm very passionate because i am uh, a person of color and i know what it's like to um be put in a box to be called uh, or or put into a category and to be called that you know um so i, I any injustices mm-hmm. whether it is an injustice of race whether it's, it's it's sexuality i will always advocate for that so i always encourage my listeners which side of history as you mentioned do you want to be on do you want to be on the side that is calling it out and having these discussions are extremely hard i feel like for some people for people pe- some people i seem to be getting the, this uh, idea that there well i didn't do this this was my ancestors or i'm not okay for example in terms of slavery yes that was your ancestors but you right now in the present what are you doing to change the narrative to um change things such as um systematic racism because that still exists what are you doing Mm -hmm. about that are you being quiet about it or are you 
you know, vocalizing it? Are you allowing other people of color, if you're in a, uh, a position of, for example, management, are you trying to get more people of color into the room? So I think that this pandemic, they also call it a racial pandemic too, the year of the racial pandemic, but this has really heightened it for people. And we've seen here in Canada, I don't know if you know, but the Proud Boys is now considered a terrorist group. Right. So the I had heard that yeah, from so Amy actually. That's great. Yeah. That's positive news. I'm just waiting for them to call the Ku Klux Klang as the next one. But, you know, progress, baby steps, and it's still a win for us. So I do encourage people to have the conversation. And and so my question to you is what can you say to people who are kind of scared to have the conversation or are very avoidance? to having conversations around racism? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I am a self-admitted, I hate, I hate confrontation. So that's one thing about me that I'm working on. So one thing that I would say for anyone like myself is practice having the conversation. If you need to write down points in order to feel comfortable with saying everything you need to say, do it. Practice with somebody that you live with. You know, call someone and have this conversation and, you know, if they can sort of make it hard, be the devil's advocate, let them so that you can practice what to say. And advocacy, it doesn't have, I mean, it's obviously better if it's face to face, but advocacy can take forms of um, online advocacy. Like if you're on social media um, and you see someone with the, that's written a racist remark, or they've shared an article, which is racist, call them out online. I think that this would be a good small step to take in your advocacy journey. So for example, um, we're on Twitter. So we, we see a lot of conversations on Twitter. Sometimes I will even follow someone who doesn't have the same viewpoints as me because I want to get practice at advocating for things when they, when they say something that's racist or discriminatory. I am trying to work on my ability to advocate and not just stand by, even if it's in a virtual world because we're all online these days. Probably that's most of our interactions right now because of the pandemic. So if we can learn a way to advocate with words, then we can start to translate that into face-to-face conversations and you know get better at it and know that it's okay. I think the first time you have um, a difficult conversation, it can be really nerve-wracking, but it's like riding a bike. The more you do it, the better you get at it. You're more able to tackle these uh rapidly changing situations when there's you know more than one person involved and and the good thing is the world doesn't end it just keeps going so if you think that you know this is going to be the worst conversation ever you will make it you will get there and you'll be able to inspire more people to follow in your footsteps how do you feel about media coverage about um what's been going on in terms of attacks that's been happening Well, specific to anti-Asian racism, I think there's been very little media coverage. And I think this just goes back to us being the model minority where we're afraid to ruffle any feathers. So I'm actually surprised that there was any media coverage, but I imagine that it wasn't quite enough media coverage because it was just one article here or there, but I didn't see any Asian people being interviewed about what happened, especially not in my neck of the woods. I wasn't approached to be interviewed about anything. Um, And I'm quite out there in the media doing um, interviews about things related to the Gritty Nurse podcast. So I do think there is a long way to go. And 
part of it is that we as Asian Canadians need to advocate for ourselves better. We need to start saying to the media, why haven't you discussed this a bit more? Why haven't you asked um, a Chinese Canadian person for their viewpoints? This is an issue. I mean, we experience disparities as well. We are wrongly being attacked. We've been accused of bringing the virus into Canada. We have had people shun our businesses. Like, why are we not being more vocal? If the fear is that we're going to lose business, well, that already happened. So we just need to be able to speak up for what's right and sort of come together as one. I think we also have to, and it, you know, as the Asian community, I know you want to be able to vocalize that, but I think us as even allies need to mention it out to the public. So whether you're a white ally, whether you're a black ally, you know, you're seeing an injustice, you know that it should be covered by media so that there's more awareness on it, then I think you should also speak up. Right. I don't think it's I, I don't think mm-hmm. it's ultimately all Asian would be great, but I think also we should, you know, hey media, this is what's going on here. I can't discuss about it because I'm not, you know, um a part of the Asian community, but there is something going on here. Mm-hmm. And just uh, another thing I thought of is that Asian healthcare providers, so Asian doctors, Asian nurses in the States especially. Um, patients have refused to, um, you know, like when you see an Asian doctor, they don't want that doctor to look after them. They're like, I don't want an Asian doctor because you're going to give me COVID. I want a doctor of a different race. So whether that be a white doctor or a black doctor or a Hispanic doctor, I'm not sure, but it's even come to that where we are we are refusing care based on who the caregiver is because we think we're going to get COVID from them. Oh my goodness. When in reality, you have just as much of a chance as getting it from a white doctor or, you know, a doctor of any race. At this point, it's really about education. Education and is, you know, the saying education is key. It's really down to education is key because for people to have this mindset that I will refuse help from a doctor because he's Asian because he can give me the virus is just absolutely absurd. As you mentioned, you can na- you can get it from anybody. I could have it. The white person down the road can have it. Anybody can have it. So for you to think that way, and I'm I'm wondering if it's not only education, but it's it's almost like they're lying to themselves and they rather believe the lie over the truth. Because if we are providing you with all this information and saying, hey, this is how you can contract it, and you refuse that information, it's almost like the lie is better than the truth. Mm -hmm. And then they sit in their ignorance. Definitely. Now, how can people, how do you feel people can be an ally to the Asian community? So what would you say is something that we can do to help Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of the things that you've done already, Michelle, just even reading up on some of the issues that Asian people have faced um, in the media, being aware of a lot of the ways that Asian people have been repressed in the past. Um, so, for example, when um, Chinese people came over to Canada and the States, there was a huge head tax placed on them. Essentially, they didn't want Asian people to come to Canada. So they placed this huge, huge, huge tax on them in order to come over and then they were exploited to build the railway so i mean we have experienced our share of hardships so i think learning about that is really helpful and just knowing that um if you're advocating for something that um black people have experienced 
um, you might want to think about, is this something that affects the Asian community as well? So I think there's different ways that we can advocate for ourselves. Um, supporting Asian-owned businesses. I, I personally support Black-owned businesses in my neighborhood. So if I know that, let's say there's a restaurant that's run by um, a Black person, I will go to my way to support them. So I think there's many different things we can do. And um, just joining the movement, if you can find um, something online that is supporting people of color, but that way it's it's just, you know, Asian people are a part of it. I think that's also really important. And if you uh, obviously, if you ever see anything happen either online or I like to say in real life, um, <laughs> call that out because like I said, Asian people are not the best at advocating and being vocal for a number of reasons. And if you are that person, I think um, it would be so appreciated and supported um, if someone else were to sort of step in and say, hey, that's not right. That's racist. Um, and I think it's just, you know, kind of working together and doing all these sorts of things for each other. So I'm just going to wrap up our conversation and thank you so much, Sarah, again, for um, taking part of this episode. Uh, again, I'll, at the end of this episode, I'll drop all of your um, information for people to follow as well as to listen to your podcast. Now we're coming into, we are in 2021. What are you hoping for, for the rest of this year? What are your hopes? Mm -hmm. uh, lots of different things. I hope that we have a speedy, smooth rollout of the vaccine. I really hope that things start to pick up. Um, I hope that down in the States, politically, things start to settle down a bit. I read the other day that Biden was guaranteeing that all Americans would have the vaccine by May. Mm. So that sounds like a lofty goal. I'm, I'm really hopeful that that happens. Um, I hope that we can get over the second slash third wave. So something that you may or may not have read is that um, there's the variants of coronavirus now. The variants are going to overtake the main strain of uh, COVID. And I hope that we are able to get through that intact. Um, just hoping for health for everyone that I know and that we will get through this and see you know, see each other on the other side. I, I don't really know. And I just hope that we can sort of come together a bit more on anti-Asian racism and be more aware of the issues that affect not just Asian people, but Black people, Indigenous peoples, um, that we all share a lot of the same struggles and that we can really sort of build each other up. Special thanks goes out to Sarah for sitting down with me and having this conversation and bringing awareness to this topic. You can check her as well as her co-host, Amy, on the Gritty Nurse Podcast. And I'll catch you on the next episode.